Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, these conversations are um, very uh, dear to me that I get to have them with all of you. And there's always another community member that facilitates conversation you know, with me. Uh, this week, I have the honor and the, the delight of conversing with Mike, who I called Michael last week. That's, I was, I've never called you Michael in my life. Mike, I've known you for years. You've known me for quite some time. I've never called you Michael in my life. I was so nervous last week. I said, uh, and I'll have that explained by Michael. Uh, <laughs> and Mike said, you really are nervous, man, if you're calling me Michael. I've never called you Michael in my life. But uh, I have the, the pleasure of being joined by Mike Schweiss. Um, Mike, what did you think about the chapter? I mean, if you want me to jump in Bismillah, to the depths, go, go because in, I, I actually think that this connects a lot. So the chapter is obliviousness to blessings, mm -hmm. right? Obliviousness to blessings. And for those of you who uh, are not good with big words like myself, you know, Abedullah, this brother, he knows, I have this, uh, this test of this word that I do. And I, I learned it in graduate school. And I test people to like help them understand different ways that we process language. Obedullah is the only person that couldn't, that knew what the name of the word was. And then, you know, I can't remember what it is now. It's that plastic thing. It was the tip of the shoe. I quizzed you on it. You knew what it was called. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head either. <laughs> yeah, it's my memory. Anyways, long story short, for, the, <laughs> for those of us who don't use big words, obliviousness to blessings, right? Just not being aware of all the beautiful things mm. that come our way, right? And <clears throat> there's the question that was just asked was profound because I feel like it also tied into what we experienced with you last week. Right. Um, with your mother um, after her own beautiful journey of faith, embracing Islam. Right. And Danny, her, her, her partner, her husband now. Right. Entering as well. And then engaging in matrimony. Um, and then the community being able to join it was so beautiful. And when I was reading this chapter, once I got about halfway, the first part is really about, you know, the blessings that we forget, like food and clothing and shelter. But when he started talking about, when he got a little bit deeper, I began thinking about uh, hidayah, about guidance, mm -hmm. uh, how the root word for, for guidance, the Arabic word is hidayah, but the guidance comes from like this idea of a gift. Idea. From a hidayah, right? Someone's wife too. Ah! Name of a special person. You know, I'm just saying, sure, Allah bless sure, her. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that first came into my mind, this idea that, um, guidance is such a gift, something we take for granted. And maybe onlookers may not understand what you experienced last week, you know, but I did. And I think many of us who have come to Islam, you know, in our own journeys also did. The question that was just asked, like pointed at it, like with all hands, right? It's just like, what about like our families? Like, what about the people we love? We want to share this with them, you know? And this is a gift that many of us just don't realize is handed in our lap. Mm -hmm. We try to get grandfathered into Islam. There's no such thing. Oh. I remember once I was invited to a certain masjid, I'm not going to name it, 
uh, for like a youth program. And one of my friends, I believe he's one of your friends, Abdurrahman Murphy, he was overseeing the, uh, like the youth program. So he invited mm -hmm. Alia and I to do a talk uh, with the youth at the lock-in, right? So she worked with the women, I worked with the brothers. And you know, of course, whenever there's like someone who's become Muslim, it's like, oh, tell us your convert story. So they made me tell my convert story, right? Sure. And as soon as I got to the part where I was like, and then I took my Shahada, the whole room, like 150 guys stood up and started clapping. They started clapping. And to me, it was like nails on a chalkboard. Mm. It was like nails on a chalkboard sure. because I was just like, ugh, mm. like, it's nothing special. It's, I'm grateful that Allah guided me, but like, mm. I'm sharing this with all of you because I told them, I said, you know, the question I have for you is, when did you guys decide to become Muslim? Ooh. When did you guys decide to not have your mother wake you up for Fajr? Hmm. Right? Or your friends or your, check you, hey, I saw you eating during Ramadan. Like, when did you decide to do that for yourself? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, it reminds me of a funny story. When uh, I was uh, a much younger Muslim, I was living at a madrasa. And I was studying Quran there. And every morning, the teachers would turn all of the lights on in the, the dorm rooms, and they would go through the rooms hitting the, the steel bunk beds with a broomstick. And then they wake up, Fajr, Fajr, Fajr. And you know, of course I would get out of bed and start making wudu, but some guys would just be still just in bed. And I would, and I would look at them, I said, man, you're 16, 17 years old, man. You've been doing this for how long? And he looked at me and said, oh, wait, most of us at home, our parents have to shake us out of bed to do this. And even then we don't do it sometimes. That's right. Right. So I think this idea that it's only converts That's right. that have to conscientiously choose this for themselves at some point, mm -hmm. it's not true. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to do that at some point. That's right. And you have to take ownership of your faith at some point. That's right. At some point, it ceases to be mom's religion, dad's religion. Mm -hmm. It has to become your religion. That's it. And, um, and it's a gift. And it's a gift. That spark coming, that spark of faith is really, truly a gift. And perhaps it's one of the best gifts that we can ever receive. Oh, it's, it's and certainly. The that's why I was hinting at that, right? With like with your, with your family, like with all of our families. For those who don't know, this is why we do this work. Mm. Like it's not to just be there for whoever decides to become Muslim or people are going through difficult times. We're here because we want to call our friends and our family to this mm. deen. You know, and to witness you witnessing it, man, it shook me, bro. Yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to, man, express some gratitude to the community. My mother and my stepfather, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, <laughs> words that I thought I would never say. Um, they were, <laughs> they were, um, uh, I mean, the gratitude that they expressed for days on end. They were so impressed with the Muslim community. They were just like, what a beautiful community. You know, we feel honored to be a part of us, of that kind of community. And tomorrow they'll be present for Will's class. There you go. Right? Then I go come to my class. There you go. Why would they? Why would they? <laughs> <laughs> but, but they said, we're going to be at Dr. Will Caldwell's class every Wednesday. I was like, mashallah. Yeah. That is how I know the community made a really strong impression on them. Yeah. My mother said, I felt so honored. I felt so special. And then to be in a room like the room we had last week yeah. with so many different kinds of people, yeah, very diverse. that room really reflected the universality of Islam. Absolutely. 
you had some older folks, younger folks, white folks, black folks, autumn folks, you know, continental African folks, Daisy folks, Latino brothers and sisters. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, um, it, it was just, uh, it was heavenly, man. You know, she, she wrote a card actually. Yeah, and it's in the it's in the kitchen. It says to uh, to to my lovely Talif collective community, and there's a card. So if anyone wants to see it afterwards, it's she wrote it for all you guys. So yeah. that's you know my, my mother's a, a very classy woman. I'm not a very, I'm not a very classy man. But, really, uh, really. You know, <laughs> <laughs> she's not. She's actually been quite quite uh, in terms of her manner and her decorum. She's. Masha, I think she'll excel, you know, learning about adab and akhlaq and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens from this, man. Really, I am. MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. But that's what came up for me. Mm. Revisiting that, right? Um, mm. That moment to me, like this whole week, it's been, I've been in California, but it's been echoing through my head. Maybe when we we're in California, I think this whole week we had a sister take shahada here after Juma, And then when I, when I was in California, we did four shahadas. Allah Akbar. You know, it's like there's so much action that Allah is doing right now mm-hmm. in terms of turning hearts and like we had an event in uh, the Bay Area welcome to the fold uh, with all the convert community out there and the topic of the conversation was you know think about who your Abu Talib is and who your Khadija is that was actually a discussion topic that you just brought up who's your inward support in your journey of faith and who is your outward protector in your journey of faith mm-hmm. Muslim or non-Muslim sure right yeah. and this topic and this conversation came up and what we concluded was about this idea of creating communities and spaces that support that. Mm. Like you shared with me, right? Like, hey, my biggest concern is like everything after this. Mm. And it's one of my biggest concerns too. Like when my family, they become Muslim, like that's what we've been working towards trying to build, right? And now yeah. it's like, now it's like, you got to taste it and see if it, you cooked it right or not. And it's frightening, bro. You it's know, today I actually was talking to my mother right before this and she said, you know, me and Danny went out and we were in the park and we were holding hands. Is that haram? And I said, I hope not. You know, <laughs> she said, no, there were, there were, we, we passed a group of Muslims and they gave us such dirty looks. They gave us such stern looks that we were concerned that we were doing something wrong. And I was angry. And at the same time, I was impressed with her because she was she was asking me earnestly, like, if it's something wrong with holding my husband's hand in public, yeah. as a, I won't do it. She was like, is it, is it, can I do that? Mm-hmm. And I said, they were probably shocked that there was a Muslim couple that appeared to be happy. You know? <laughs> 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 no, no, I'm just, I'm just, that was a bad joke. That was a bad joke. That was a bad joke. You have many, you have many Muslim couples that are happy. Alhamdulillah. You know, um, but you know i'm worried about stuff like that yeah you know what what does that you know what does that mean you know because i you know some people and i think my mother i'm she has thick skin she's been through a lot she's a mature woman Uh, she understands you know those kinds of um frailties and weaknesses exist in the human condition of course mature people can identify they can identify that but i've seen people (laughs) driven out of islam that's right because of one too many uh, experiences like that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So you, you know, you, uh, you're worried about those things. Yeah, absolutely. You're worried about those things. But this chapter is about blessings. That's right. And you know, Allah Taala says in the Quran, if you try to enumerate God's blessings, 
You would never be able to count them. You would never be able to count them. And this is the verse of the Quran, so it's addressed to everyone. It's not just addressed to wealthy people. It's not just addressed to healthy people. It's not just addressed to people in relationships. It's not addressed to people in, you know, uh, that are, you know, that uh, are experiencing maybe solitude. It's not addressed to people in living in peace. It's not addressed to people just living in war-torn. It's addressed to everybody. That in every situation, one is still capable of locating some blessing. Allah. Right? No matter how bad it is. No matter how bad it seems, one is still capable of, of, of locating some blessing. I mean, that's a very profound idea. And it's also um, an intense challenge that no matter the situation, try to locate something that will produce gratitude. You know, a friend of mine called me about uh, a week ago. And he said, you know, Obeid, I just feel like I'm stagnant. I'm stuck in every aspect of my life, mm -hmm. professionally, personally, spiritually. I just feel stuck. Yeah. There's no forward motion. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. And I told him, I said, Echi, start with gratitude. And this is, I'm not, you know, I wanted to make it clear to him that I'm not saying give up your pursuit of, you know, excellence or progress or, but begin with gratitude for where you are. Absolutely. Begin with, no matter where you are. Absolutely. If you're praying one prayer a day, thank God for that prayer and then seek more. If you're not praying any prayers, but you have an awareness, a consciousness, a realization of God, begin with thanks for that. I actually remember a time when I didn't have that. Be, wherever you are, begin with gratitude. You know, there's a song. Uh, are you gonna sing it? No. <laughs> because everybody knows my singing voice is like a frog. Even in the shower. You know, some people like, you know, in the shower with the water, they make themselves believe they can sing. Even in the shower, I don't sound good. I know I can't sing, right? But uh, uh, Nina Simone has uh, a song called Ain't Got No. I Ain't Got No. And she begins the song in the first two verses, talking about everything that she doesn't have. I ain't got no this, I ain't got, she goes, I ain't got no God, I ain't got no faith, hmm. I ain't got no cigarettes, I mean, she, I have nothing, I have no faith, I have no God, I have no cigarettes, I have, I have nothing, right? And then, which I think for a Muslim listener, it's very easy to hear those verses and hear the blasphemous yeah. being uttered, what's hmm. that, no God, no faith, yeah. and this, and then she ends the verse really just affirming her physical existence. I got, you know, the hair on my head. I got my boobies. I got my, myself. I got my brain. I got my... And for me, a Muslim who listened to the song and, and enjoyed it, I was thinking sometimes you have to find a place to start with gratitude That's right. and then build on that. That's right. 
Maybe you begin with, I mean, I, I really don't have any of those things that might include faith. But even then, can you find a place to start building some gratitude, right? Maybe you start with where you can build some gratitude and you get to where you can attain some love, attain some faith, get some God. That's right. But you have to start from where, where can I, okay, I can talk all day about the things I don't have. Let's start with some gratitude. So maybe for some people, it's just my mind that I appear to be in possession of my faculties. I appear to be saying, maybe some people it's not even their mind. Maybe it's just my life. And I woke up today. And maybe this is where the gratitude starts. And then from there, you find more to be grateful for and more to be grateful for. But I always tell people, start from wherever you can. I usually tell people, start with what's tangible rather mm -hmm. than trying to sift for the abstract. And like, that's what that song is about to me. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to hear us say, ain't got no faith, ain't got no God. And you're like, man, you know, you're, really, you're really going out there. Yeah. She's starting with what I can affirm. That's right. Like here, he talks about farm and um, food. Food, what, what can I affirm? And I think from there, we're exposed to greater gratitude. Yeah. So if I affirm my life, if I affirm my faculties, if I affirm my body, if I affirm the food on my plate, then, thank you so much. Um, from, from there, I can start, you know, affirming some of those more abstract blessings, That's right. like faith, That's right. like friendship, like uh, relationships, like, uh, you, you understand what I'm Absolutely. saying? So I think you have to just start from where you can start. That's what you said was so profound. Just like, oftentimes when I'm working with people who are interested in becoming Muslim, they haven't really uh, started engaging this conversation yet about talking to God, like, mm. you know, maybe someone is not Muslim and they're dating a Muslim and there's a conversation about, hey, you got to look into Islam and this and that, right? And when I begin talking to them, the first thing I ask is, like, where's your personal relationship with God? Like, are you mm. even grateful? Like, do you ever talk to God? Can we start mm. there? Ooh. Instead of like, you know, I have to learn Arabic to become a Muslim and I have to wear a turban and I have mm. to marry somebody and all this stuff. Before we talk about any of that stuff, can we just go to this? Do you ever just thank God for stuff throughout your day? The core. Yeah, and I have an activity I make people do like every day, write down five blessings that you think are a blessing that you're grateful for, that your life will be different if it weren't for this, and sit down and just say, thank you, God, for this. One of the deepest experiences of my career happened to me at Binghamton University. Binghamton, where's that? Binghamton, it's in New York. Okay. I think. You just got really New Yorker with that. New York. It's in New York. New York. Okay, wherever Binghamton I think is. It's Binghamton. It sounds I, East Coast. I don't know. I think it's close to Syracuse. Right? This is how you know you travel too much. <laughs> when you travel to places and you can't recall where they were, where was it? Someplace on the Eastern seaboard. <laughs> you know you travel too much. That's right? right. And my wife would be here echoing, he travels too much. Way too much. Right? But I was giving a lecture at Binghamton University. And somebody from the audience uh, posed a question that I had never confronted. They asked me, what's the hardest part about being a Muslim? Hmm. <laughs> and I don't really remember what I said, 
you know, you know, you had that voice telling me, say something sophisticated, say, <laughs> say something deep, say something impressive. I, I, I actually don't think, because the question caught me so off guard, it was very difficult to offer something sincere. Right. You know, I just said something, right? But I asked the questioner, are you Muslim? He said, no, I'm an atheist. I said, what's the hardest part of being an atheist? Throw it back at him. And he said to me, you know, no one has ever asked me that question. I said, well, I'm asking you now. He said, honestly, I have been the recipient. I have been the beneficiary of so much favor in my life that it seems unsatisfactory to call it luck. That's right. Right. It, you know, he says, there are things that have happened to me that seem so tailor-made for me. Because yeah, they are. That to say I was lucky <laughs> just seems like a cop-out. And it's yeah. too impersonal to say, like, I guess I lucked up. No, I felt like there was someone with knowledge of me giving me what I needed at certain times in my life but I don't believe in any God that I can thank. Mm. And walking around with this debt of gratitude with no one to offer that gratitude, it has an almost maddening effect on me. And I thought mm. to myself, SubhanAllah, what a decent person. Man. Yeah. Like this is, he was an atheist, but I thought the fact that he feels, I said, there are Muslims who don't feel like that. That's right about blessing that he feels like somebody's doing something for me, but I don't know who. The only thing I could liken it to is like paying your rent every month and the, the property owner telling you it's been paid already. Mm. And you're like, who? I, I can't tell you. What? I can't tell you, man. That would, I could imagine that driving me mad. Like I, I, I call him to pay my mortgage. Somebody already paid it. <laughs> <laughs> who was it i'm not telling you i can't tell you man. that would keep me up at night yeah i would want to know yo who is this paying my joint <laughs> who is doing this all right that would keep me up at night That's right. so like what a decent person but then i felt number one the frustration that he like his frustration was palpable like i don't believe in god so like but to say like, oh, I guess I got lucky. It was a good fortune. That wasn't satisfactory for him. Like that doesn't satisfy me. And of course I was thinking, well, you know, you could become Muslim, you know what I'm saying? We could give you, right? But then, and this is to the point of the chapter, I thought it's a blessing to know who to thank for my blessings. That's right. That the fact that I actually know to say Alhamdulillah. That's right. What a blessing. And if I didn't know that, how frustrating might that be? That's right. And that's like what you said, right? With the verse of the Quran, that if you try to enumerate them, you never could. Because as soon as you realize that you've gotten to the, you've exhausted your list of blessings, you realize that there's an exponentially larger list of blessings that go on top of them. Once I was talking to Ismail's, I was teaching a class and Ismail's mother, Hafidahullah, may Allah preserve her. She said, there are about 30,000 diseases that can afflict the human body. She said, did you know 
there are about 30,000 diseases that can afflict the human body. That if I were to give thanks for each of them that I didn't have, each of them that I wasn't dealing with, I would have to do that 30,000 times. Thanking God that I don't have this and that I don't have that and that I'm not dealing with this and that I'm not dealing with that and that I'm not dealing with this and that I'm not dealing with that. And it made me reflect on something that, you know, um, a famous Muslim scholar named Sufyan Athori, mm -hmm. he said, I challenge myself not only to thank God for the blessings of what I have, but what I don't, right? Thanking God for that, that, I, that I'm not dealing with that. I'm glad I'm not, you know. And he meant like, in, like, what about thanking God for the wealth that I don't have? That's right. See, this, this flies in the face of a lot of what we think about with like the prosperity gospel That's and right. prosperity religious mm -hmm. teaching. What about, now, now if you want to ask God for more, you can ask God for more. But what about thanking God that I don't have the responsibility of that kind of money? Exactly. That maybe if I had millions, that money would have destroyed me, destroyed my faith, and destroyed my relationships. Allah be gentle. SubhanAllah. You know, one of my teachers, he said to me, he said, you know, there's an amount of money that I don't want. I said, really? He said, yeah, there's, a, there's an amount of money that I probably couldn't even have a good argument with my wife with integrity. <laughs> right? It's like, how do you dispute some, you know, marital issue with like, a hundred million hanging in the balance. It's like both of us are thinking, and this isn't working for me, it isn't working for me either, but it's a hundred million in the balance, baby. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, they, I don't have that problem. Yeah. My wife and I, we're committed to each other. Sincerity is here, whatever. We don't have that kind of money right. that we would think, hey, it's like, okay, you wanna take half of what I got. What, what half of my books do you want? <laughs> We see the secret is to get a term in life insurance policy yeah, right go. up in the high ranks, million dollar life insurance there you policy. Go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> then but, you see what happens if you make it through that term or not. You know? No, no, mashallah. So, no, no. It, but it's a very serious. I remember one time I was at Azhar and somehow we were talking about Kobe Bryant. This is before you know Kobe passed. Right. I was at Azhar many years ago, many years ago. Um, and this is when, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to disparage those that have passed on, but the whole controversy with the, uh, the um, when he, he committed uh, adultery and right. there was some allegation about you know, that whole thing, right? And we were talking about that. And one of our teachers who knew nothing about American sports walked in and just saw us in a, you know, a, a real kind of passionate you know, discussion. And he said, what are you guys talking about? And I explained to him, you know, we're talking about this basketball star, Kobe Bryant, and this whole thing uh, about whether he's a role model or not, because mm -hmm. he had had this extramarital relationship. And our teacher looked at us and he said, SubhanAllah, if he's famous and he's rich and he's a star, being faithful in his marriage might be a great fitna for him. Mm -hmm. He looked at us and said, for you guys, I don't imagine as much of a fitna. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, I don't imagine it is much of a fitna. <laughs> but thank Allah that it isn't. Alhamdulillah. Thank right. Allah that it isn't. Right? He said, you should really, you should really withhold your judgment about this man. Right? I mean, that's a fitna. Mm -hmm. 
that's a fitna, right? So it made me think, you know, thanking God for some of the blessings that, you know, of what you don't have, because those things are also blessings, just like what you do have. SubhanAllah, you know, SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah, you know. Imam Malud says, among the faults of the soul is obliviousness to blessings. Its root lies in inattentiveness to the statement, whatever blessings you have, it is from God. By simply remembering this and keeping in mind other verses of admonition, such as he does not change the condition of a people until they change something within themselves, which by the way, many Muslims uh, often uh, think that this verse, and I've heard this verse used in many different contexts. Some people think that it's like, if you want to transform yourself, God will not transform you until you transform yourself. That's the typical way. That's the it's way used, that most yeah. people uh, you know, deploy or, or invoke this verse. What the verse actually refers to in the context of the Quran is that if a people are enjoying God's blessings, God will not remove those blessings until they display ingratitude, right? That the blessings you have are not retracted until you start being inattentive to the gratitude due for those blessings, until you start treating them like, oh, it's nothing, which is something that I think married people have to think about. Absolutely. Right? I have to think about that if you start treating your marriage as though it's something that, oh, you know, uh, the old ball and chain, then it can become like a ball and chain. But if you are constantly and consistently grateful to your spouse for what they're offering you, it will what continue to be a blessing. That's right. Right? It will continue to be a blessing. Right? And then he says the verse, if you give thanks to God for what you have, God will increase you in what you have, right? That we are ungrateful for what we have through what inattentiveness to these verses. Then this chronic disease can be excised from you, can be removed, you know, from you. Um, I remember listening to uh, our imam on 39th Street, and he said, I had to be new to Islam, like um, maybe just a couple of months, uh, maybe 17, 18 years old. And, and I'll never forget this because this made a, you know, one of the things that I used to love doing man, was uh, this probably isn't even uh, popular anymore. Does anybody remember the Guinness Book of World Records? Of course. Do they still do that? Do they still have the Guinness joint? Yeah, man. Okay, man. I don't know. I'm getting old, man. I don't, you know what I'm saying? But I used to love looking at the Guinness Book of World Records. The, you know, most push-ups, longest, you know, every, all these records. And you try to beat them all. No, 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 no. But Imam Abdullah said, why do people compile things like the Guinness Book of World Records? He said, because it is a natural human tendency to appreciate the unprecedented. Mm. 
that when we see somebody doing something that's never been done before, it is a natural human tendency to say, wow. He said, what God is elucidating in the Quran is all of the things that he's done that are without precedent. Wow. And it's a natural human tendency to be impressed by those things. I created the earth, created the sun, created the moon, created the stars, created you, right? Formed you as an embryo in the womb of your mother, brought you forth, brought you to a place of full maturity and understanding and knowledge after you knew nothing. And then whoever gets old, we reduce him to a state of helplessness. All of this is, who else can do this? It's Allah's ultimate Guinness Book of World Records. It's like the Guinness Book of World the Records. As you... Who else can do this? Yeah. And if you don't find yourself impressed by this in a way that you reflect on all of these blessings, then there's something wrong with you. Mm. And I never thought about the Guinness Book of World Records the same after that. <laughs> there's something wrong with you. It's a natural human thing. Imam Abdullah, it's a natural human thing to be impressed with things that are unprecedented. It's a natural human thing, right? So when you think about all of the blessings that you enjoy, right? SubhanAllah, it's a natural human thing that even that atheist brother, that feeling of a debt of gratitude. He knew it had to go somewhere. For me to say, I guess I got lucky. It's deeper than that. It's more personal than that. Somebody's paying my rent every month. I don't know who. It's deeper. It's more personal than that. And through adherence to the way of the Prophet, we learn how to say thank you. That's why, you know, some people don't know for everything, right? Those things that I'm conscious of, those things I'm unconscious of. You know, cool little thing in Arabic. Some people don't know that the antonym of Iman, right, is not. Uh, it's not Kufr, right? No, the antonym of Iman. Oh, sorry, Iman. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I jumped the. Right, right. But the antonym of Kufr is Shukr, is gratitude, mm-hmm. right? Kufr actually means ingratitude, like etymologically, right? The word Kufr, it means to be ungrateful, mm-hmm. right? It means, you know, because. Getting into this like Arabic, nerdy Arabic stuff. The, 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 the original meaning of the word kafara is to cover something, right? So that a farmer would sow a seed in the earth and then kafarahu, right? He would, he would cover it with dirt, right? The word kufr means to cover something. And so there's this, this, this idea built into the Arabic language that if one rejects faith they're covering something mm. that it's very natural to feel mm. you're covering something and um you know one only needs uh just a scintilla of awareness to recognize blessing man right i mean what makes us better than all of the people who don't have the blessings that we do. Nothing, nothing. That's one thing that I know for sure. We're not 
any be- people that are hungry right now, we're not any better than them. I know that. <clears throat> I, know, I know that we don't have any more merit. It's not because we're diligent and hardworking. These are the lies of meritocracy, right? right? When you see people that are indigent, no, it's because I have a strong work ethic and I, you know, believed in delayed gratification and they did it. Mm -hmm. This is lies, lies. This is because your test might be plenty and their test might be privation. That's right. Right? But both of you are being tested. Who's passing and who's failing. Who's passing and who's failing. But the fact that your test involves being comfortable and their test involves being uncomfortable, it's not because you're better than them. That's right. It's just a blessing. It's just a blessing, man. It's just a blessing. And the way that you acquit yourself of that blessing, it's very simple. Just say, alhamdulillah. It's so easy. That's it. Just say, I'm doing that. You know, we've been referencing Surah Al-Kahf a lot this evening, but the story of the two neighbors, mm. right? That story, every time I read it, it, it reaffirms my belief in the heavenly origin of the Quran because it's speaking to something very, I think, inherent to people. Number one, disparity in wealth. Mm. The fact that they lived right next door to each other, (laughs) but they didn't have the same thing. I think like, man, we have to learn to read the Quran. Mm. The Quran is amazing. That's right. Right. These were neighbors, but they didn't have the same thing. Mm. Right. They didn't have, you know, in fact, what they had in terms of wealth and children very different. One of them had a lot, right? And Allah describes what he had in great detail so that he had gardens, he had vineyards, right? And vineyards represented like, that was like, a, that was like tobacco or like cotton. That was a cash crop. Yeah. And then he had rivulets, like small uh, rivers, that, he, that his garden was self-irrigating. He didn't need it to rain. So that represents like, I am no longer dependent on natural phenomena for my wealth. I've set this up, it's like a hedge fund. I'm set. I'm set. He even, Allah even describes that the vineyards were surrounded by hedges. So it really was a hedge fund. <laughs> Keep the neighbors out. No, the, the, the tafsir says that the reason Allah describes the hedges is that his crop cannot be ruined by strong wind. Mm. Like someone said to, you know, a farmer said to me, growing grapes, especially, very, very difficult to do because they're very uh, dainty. Mm. Right? I know farmers would use a different word. Right? You, I'm giving myself up as a city slicker here. They wouldn't say dainty. <laughs> they would say something better than dainty, but grapes can be ruined. The, the crop can be ruined very easily. So Allah mentioned that no, he had like this protective hedge. So his, gar- his garden is self-irrigating. He has two of them. It's, it, I mean, this, he, he feels like, man, I'm set. That's right. 
Nothing. Nothing can stop this. Nothing can stop this. <laughs> Nothing can stop this. You know, there was a, a local uh, rapper that, you know, was a friend of mine growing up. His favorite saying, no man alive can stop this paper. That no, nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up, right? Nothing can stop me, right? And he entered his garden and Allah said, what? He was a zalim nafsi. Just his attitude, he had this great blessing. His attitude toward the blessing was oppressive to himself because he didn't realize that what? This attitude, you're setting yourself up for ruination. That's right. You're setting your, it's the arrogance that what? Proceeds to fall. That's right. Just this attitude you have. And even before that, you have wiruhu. He said to his neighbor, hey man, I have more money than you. And azu nafara could mean I have more kids, but it can also mean I'm more respected than you are. Well, who are you hawiruhu? The Quran is like, his friend didn't ask him, hey man, what, what do you think about my social standing and yours? He didn't say, hey, who has more money, me or you? No, this was just something he offered voluntarily. He just stunned on him. Hey man. I have more than you. And when he said it, he was very satisfied with it. People respect me more than they respect you, right? And then he went even further. Even if I were to die. No, first he said, Lend to be the Abada. Man, this will never come to an end. <laughs> this will never stop. And then he said, And then Even if I died and I returned to my Lord, he would give me something even better than this. That verse reveals something very important. One, he was a believer. This wasn't like this hedonistic man who didn't believe in the next life and he was just drowning in his worldly pursuits and his money. This was a faithful man. But he was just maghroor. He was intoxicated by his money. That he began to say things that were uncharacteristic of people of faith. And I've had very wealthy people tell me, I don't know. But they've told me, no, it can get that deep sometimes. It can get that deep. You're sitting on these yachts. You're sitting with, with beautiful people and you're thinking, no, this is a surefire sign that God loves me. Because if he didn't, why would I be here? Look at what I have. Look at where I am. I mean, this is a, and I, I'm sitting in an apartment on Champs Elysees. I'm in Paris. Look at what I have. If this is not a sign that God loves me, what is? And he says, because God has loved me so much that he's given me this, if I die, then I get something even better. Right? 
The thing about his friend that always captivates me is his friend is not, or his neighbor, he doesn't scold him, mashallah, the always diligent Amir Felton, even in the middle of a good story, alhamdulillah. His friend does not take any personal exception to him stunting on him like that. He doesn't say like, why are you talking to me like this? Or you really think that you're all that. <laughs> he says, have you forgotten your Lord that created you, that, that formed you? As for me, I'll never attribute any partner with my Lord. Right, I never attribute any partner with my Lord. And then the whole point of this story, when you enter your garden, just say, MashaAllah. Just say there is no power, no might except God. This is what God has given me. That, it would be a blessing, right? It would be a blessing. To show a little gratitude. To show a little gratitude. His friend was basically saying, I'm not hating, man. I'm not hating. I'm glad you have that. Right? I'm glad you have that. I'm not hating. Just, just, just thank God for it. It is good. And then he said, but maybe, this is, I mean, this story is so deep to me. It's only like a, like a half a page. Yeah. But that's the Quran. Maybe when you look at me, you see me as somebody that has less than you. So you can't take it from me. Oh. How? How often have we rejected the correcting advice of somebody that we saw as being beneath us? Mm. Who are you to tell me? Or sometimes we rationalize. Ah, it's easy for you to say you don't have any money. Right? right. You, this is not, this is, this is, you know, you're telling me be conscientious. Think, think about others. Yeah, it'd be easy to say that if I had your salary. <laughs> if I made what you made, I, it, there wouldn't be a fit now. But the fact of the matter is that I have what I have. Mm. So there is a fitna. And then he says, maybe you see that I have less money than you, that I have less children than you, I'm less respected than you. But remember, God can give me something better than your garden. So he's getting him to recognize the indeterminacy of where they are in the present juncture. You see me like this, but you don't know how, what my ending is gonna be. That's right. You may be talking to me like this and maybe God has something great planned for me that's even better than what you have, right? It's, 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 it's like my grandmother used to say, make sure you respect people on your way up because hmm. those are the people you tend to see on your way down. Wow. <laughs> that's what he was saying to him in that verse. Hey, as you're getting up there and you're looking down on me, maybe one day our fortunes might change. That's right. And now I'm up there. I 
have the money. But some commentators, they say, from the nature of his advice, you get the sense, even if their, their fortunes shifted, he wouldn't look down on him like that. See, I wouldn't treat you like that. If it were me asking and you giving, I've already seen how you, how you look at me. But if it were you asking and me giving, I wouldn't treat you like that, hmm. right? And then he says, and it may be that God will send a husband, God will send uh, some natural catastrophe that will destroy your garden. Maybe, maybe. The next verse. Allah checks you. It's all gone now. Right. He's going like this. Right? Lamenting about everything that he lost. Right? He's always diligent as may have felt. Lamenting on everything. You know, I heard Sheikh Yasin Qadi say, even in the fact that Allah spent five ayat describing the garden, but only one verse describing how it was destroyed. Oh, wow. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. We could describe something as very elaborate. It had this and it had that and it had this. But when you lose it, it's just gone. It was like this, it was like that. I mean, let me, let me tell you about the house. It was like this, it was like that, it was like this, it was like that. And it just went into foreclosure. It's not yours anymore. Doesn't matter. All of those details don't matter when it's gone. It was like this, it was like that. It was so amazing. It's gone. It's not mine anymore. I don't have it anymore, right? But what some people don't realize about the story is that the arrogant man who lost everything is actually the protagonist of the story because he repents. He says, oh, you know, I never should have done that. I never should have attributed a partner with my Lord. And he says, the baqiyat al-salihat, those, those things that are with God, those are the things that remain. Mm -hmm. I should have recognized that. So the story actually has a happy ending for him. He took the reminder he was supposed to take from losing everything. Just a rough lesson. But why should that have to happen for us to recognize the necessity of being grateful? Mm. Right? Everybody recognizes at the end. Very, it's, it's, it's seldom that you come across somebody who's lost everything that's not grateful. Mm. I've talked to many people that when they tell you, man, I lost my family, no longer in contact with my children, lost my friends, career down the tubes, because through my drug use, man, I never really appreciated those things. If only I had another chance. Everybody says that at the end. Everybody says that at the end. The reason we have the Quran is so that we can say it before we get to the end. That's right. Alhamdulillah. You know, uh, before we go to Q and A, in uh, in the spirit of uh, UC, man, Osama Ken, Allah yarhamuhu. 
he was a great storyteller. He was a great storyteller. You know, uh, for my money, and of course Muslims don't gamble, one of the best storytellers, you know, I ever had the pleasure of listening to a story from, um, he's, you know, um, he used to tell a story about him serving as a prison chaplain. And, you know, traffic in the Bay Area is really bad after a certain point. You know, most metropolitan areas is bad traffic. But I think in the Bay Area it's particularly bad after a certain point. And he knew that if he didn't leave the facility by a certain time, he would be stuck in traffic for like hours or something like that. And something happened, you know, he was you know, serving the inmate population and he ended up not leaving in time. And he said, oh man, and he was like upset about it. And one of the guys actually, Imam, what are you upset about? He said, man, I didn't leave in time. So now, you know, I'm gonna be stuck in traffic you know, for an hour plus. And he said, the inmate looked at him and said, what I wouldn't give to be stuck in traffic on my way home for an hour plus. And Osama said that he reflected in that moment on how ungrateful he was being. Before people, this man would give anything to be stuck in traffic on his way home. Man, I was sitting in traffic for anything less than my sentence mm -hmm. that's right. <laughs> to get home. That's real. And you're expressing discontent with being stuck in traffic for an hour on your way home. I'll never forget that story, man. Because that story for me, typifies obliviousness to blessing, right? That's what it means to be oblivious to your blessing. Oh, man, I got to sit in traffic on my way home. And somebody in the penitentiary is saying, you're sitting in traffic on your way home. Yeah, that must suck. Yeah, that must suck. SubhanAllah. Yeah, that must suck. You know, um, and we just got to struggle, man, to be more aware of those blessings, man. I mean, you know, just to be more aware of those blessings. You know, subhanAllah. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.